I know who I am. When we have finished with you, you'll no longer be yourself. What's going on, listeners? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies. We are continuing our Jason Bourne marathon, whatever you want to call it, with the Bourne Ultimatum and what was originally meant to be the concluding uh, chapter in the trilogy uh, ended up not being so. But we're not here to talk about those uh, other two movies right now. We're here to talk about the Bourne Ultimatum. And just like we did with Born Identity and the Born Supremacy, it wouldn't feel right reviewing these without Rob and Harrison. So, guys, welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. This was a this was a little delayed, as uh, unfortunately the the world doesn't want us to be done with COVID yet. Um, but it actually gave me a chance to rewatch it again. Um, so I actually watched this twice in preparation for this review, and I'm actually really glad I did. It didn't really change what I feel I thought about this movie, but it just really cemented how I feel about this movie. So um, realistically, I just kind of want to give people a recap here before we get into spoilers and everything else. But Harrison, I'll let you go first. Uh, you know, this series, you've talked about how you actually really enjoyed this series and you were really glad to do this. So, you know, as we're going through these, just kind of give a quick recap of your thoughts on the the Jason Bourne series so far and, you know, some of your expectations to rewatch this movie. <clears throat> yeah, I mentioned on the last episode for Bourne Supremacy that the second that movie ended, I was like, I need to watch the Bourne Ultimatum. Like, it just really sets it up for the next film. And so I had really, really high expectations with that in mind because I've just really been enjoying the series. It's been fun to come back to and, like, have something that you have positive feelings for still be good, you know what I mean? Like, not just nostalgically mm -hmm. good. Um, but to have good action and, like, a good story and really, really good performances and awesome characters and, like, to have them be what we remember them as is exciting and and this the born ultimatum before rewatching was the one that i re remember the most the one that like i have the most memory for uh so i was just extremely excited to like let those memories be proven that they were good you know what i mean like because that had been happening with other ones i was just really looking forward to that happening with these memories that i knew i already had if that makes sense yeah, no, Rob, uh, same question. What are, you know, what were your feelings, a quick recap on the Bourne series and your your expectations for, for re-watching this one or watching this one, if I remember? I yeah, so when I watched it the other day, this was actually the first time I'd seen this and I was really excited. This had been on my list of things that I needed to check out. And once again, the podcast came to the rescue <laughs> to give me an excuse Always. to, uh, you know, force me to watch something that I'd been meaning to do for a long time. Um, you know, when you put it on your calendar, okay, we're recording on this date, then you can be pretty much guaranteed I'm watching it the day before because I'm just, you know, so busy. But it, it, I'm so glad that we did it. This. Uh, the, the second film was was so good for me. Um, I had mentioned it before, but what I loved about it was that it built on things. It was a sequel that didn't change the rules of the first one. So many sequels to try to you know build on what they've done. They have to feel, they feel like they have to go bigger. They have to go something more. 
um, and somehow become something less. Uh, they try to add too many things that retroactively don't make sense um, in the context of the original film. We see that with so many sequels and this one never did. And that continues into the third. There's, there's nothing about the third that if you go back and rewatch the first with all of the knowledge of what you have in parts two and three now become invalid or somehow, you know, like don't, they don't fit together anymore. Like they introduce like this new, you know, like just for example, uh, transformers that we just did over on the basement binge, like so many things that happen in that. And it's mostly just cause it's fresh in my mind, but so many things that happen in subsequent films invalidate yep. something that happened in the first. And I never get that with, the Bourne series. Um, and that makes me really appreciate it even more. And I think partially being drawn from a novel, you know, a, a series of novels really helps with that because the, the groundwork is already built for you. The, the path is there. You just have to follow the path. Um, so I, you know, I had not seen the third one by the time we'd recorded the second one. And when Harrison said he immediately wanted to jump into the third one, I understand it now. This film series is meant to be viewed as a mm -hmm. trilogy. I believe that. I don't think this is something where you're not just going to randomly watch this. I don't think you would just randomly watch the second movie, you know, like you wouldn't randomly just watch the third movie. And if you watch the first one, you're probably going to want to watch the second or the third one at some point within, within like a week or two. Um, that's really the best way to watch this. Binging is the right way to watch film series. I will die on this hill. I, I agree with you. I, I just want to jump in before Matt says anything with this film because I like how this one. Wait, are we in like spoilers? Can I say spoilers? Yeah, I mean, at this okay. point, I th I think uh, I don't know if, if you haven't seen this movie. Yeah, I'll, here's a quick warning: spoilers okay. coming up right, right, okay. right now. Here we go. <laughs> um, I like that this one literally starts where the last one ended, kind of like this. The the Born Supremacy jumps. Uh, in time however long it is and so this one like goes back and kind of fills in those gaps in a really exciting way that makes the trilogy just really feel like a solid solid trilogy mm -hmm. um, and it's just exciting yeah and i you know rob I, I think you just made an excellent point too when you were given some of your thoughts that in no way shape or form does anything happen in these three movies that retcons anything from the other ones. So you never spend any time in, in the second movie or especially in the third movie, like thinking back to what happened in the other movies and being like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't line up. Like, why is this character here now? Or why are they doing this? And it just allows you, because so many times, like you said, you get those in other movies and it forces you to stop really and like and maybe just enjoy the experience because you're you're going well you're not even following your own rules you're not even staying with the story that you establish but this movie does not do that and you're allowed to just enjoy what is realistically watching back these three movies these are really simple they're not huge like yes there's the car chases but when you think about these movies in general what hooks you is actually mostly to me the dialogue it, it's not the car chases it's not always the hand-to-hand -hand fighting that that's good that's a, a a bonus part but it's really the story of like who jason Bourne is what he's going to do to stay ahead of you know the cia and everything going on and it's a really 
in the grand scope of things, it's a really simple movie. It doesn't have huge action set pieces when you really break down what this this movie represents. Why is it that we're giving this movie credit for just being a good sequel? Like, why? How is it that Hollywood's gotten to the point where just making a good sequel that doesn't invalidate its own rules is somehow considered an achievement? Like, how sad is that? Yeah. What, what kind of comment is that on the state of sequels in this world? It's such a bummer, too, because like when is I think that that's why we're coming on so much is that when a sequel works, it's so exciting and uh, like, it, it like, works to this level, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the way of saying it. Like there there was a reason that when the supremacy ended, I was like, I got to watch the ultimatum right now. You know what I mean? Where, where others, it's like you don't watch Thor. Here's an example. You don't watch. <laughs> you don't watch Iron Man 2 as much as I love Iron Man 2 I will die on that hill it's one of my favorite Iron Man movies ever um, which there's actually not that many so maybe that's not a very good statement it's a great movie okay let's just put it that way you, don't, you definitely don't watch Iron Man 2 and then think the storytelling is leading me to the next thing immediately in a way that feels natural and exciting and suspenseful but also cohesive in its own right you just are like okay that was fun mm-hmm. let me do something else like this, it, it, the whole entire story just continually propels you forward. And it's from movie to movie, but also in this movie, it's just continually propelling you forward. And I, I think like you said, Matt, it's, it's because it's more than just the action scenes. It's like the story is just really is what works at it. And I think they did well. And, and I'm kind of tipping my hand for what, when we talk about the born legacy, but like, I'm just impressed with the ways that they're able to like tell stories about spies in a way that's really interesting and like keep me engaged in that without just like completely checking out. Yeah. And one thing, too, that I I wanted to bring up is, at least for me, and I'll, I'll get your guys' thoughts, Rob, I'll let you go first to anything that Harrison had said after, after this. But one of the things that I feel about this trilogy in particular is every movie, I believe the characters that they bring in are better than the movie before. And that's not to say that the characters in the first movie, the second movie were not good and I didn't enjoy them. But from the first movie, you know, you go to the Born Supremacy and you get Pamela Landy, who I thought was fantastic in the Born, uh, the Born Supremacy. And then she's still in the Born Ultimatum, but you then get um, actor, I, his name is David Stray, Strathern, I, if you're saying that, but Noah Vosen. And I think this guy who now comes in and is another foil to going after Bourne and things like that, like even these characters, I think they just they up themselves every single time that these new people that because whether or not the one guy committed suicide or whatever the case may be, these new people that they bring into this world that are part of all of this are even better than the character that came before them while not taking away from what the other movies represented. Like that's, that's my thought. I think each time they bring somebody in, they, for some reason, just, they outshine the next person, which I'm probably saying that wrong. Cause I still love what those other characters have done. It's interesting because in the original one, it's really just a focus on Jason and him trying to make sense of what's going on. And there's people coming after him and he can't just be safe. You know, it's, it's partially him trying to do what he thinks is right, but also just keep himself alive. The second one is, mm-hmm. is kind of a little bit of the revenge tale 
and then we get into the third and now it's, you know, full on revenge, but also just, he knows that he, they'll never stop coming for him. So it, it is him still trying to keep himself alive. And as you know, the, the third is really just almost like you could have almost made um, the born supremacy parts one and two really, because it's almost, it's almost like that. It's, it's, a, you know, th- this picks up right where that left off. And the events just run together. They're in the same costuming. You know, he's still limping like he is at the end of the second film. And and so these two, when you when you look at them together, it's just that second layer of Treadstone. You know, we we thought of, of Treadstone. That was really what we thought was kind of the, the big bad to begin with. And it, and it really kind of is. But then you realize, no, no, that's that's part of something a little bit larger. That's that's part of, you know, Blackbriar. And we find out that there's other people involved and Treadstone was bigger than that. And Blackbriar is even bigger. And there's all of these other people involved and it goes pretty much right to the top. And it's a deniable operation, of course. You know, so it's it's very much only only the people who need to know what's going on know what's going on so that the people who would be held accountable who are really in power could never truly be held accountable because they didn't know about it officially so as this thing gets bigger and bigger it feels natural um that this conspiracy goes a little bit higher that it gets a little more involved um as he learns more about himself um you know, the stakes do get higher because the, the players are bigger. The importance of the, yep. of the program is bigger and it just naturally works. Can I say too, one thing, I mean, one thing that I don't want to spend too much time on, but this movie did produce probably one of the better known memes um, that you see out there with, Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne, Um, which was really, really funny. But this might sound like really silly to say, but these characters, Rob, who you mentioned, like get bigger and bigger and like it feels like a higher escalation. They're also just like. They're really cool, and that's a really simplistic way of saying it, but I really like Noah Vosa, like. I really just find him like this cool, like calm, calculated customer. Like I just, I like this actor's on-screen presence throughout this entire movie. And then slowly, but surely, like as his armor kind of starts to peel, um, especially when he realizes how close Jason is. And that's later in the movie. We can talk about that, but like how close Jason is to home and just like the sheer, like panic that sets in from this guy who really kind of plays it cool. And like, he wants to get Jason, but I don't know. I just, I love the presence of these characters. I I agree. Cause I also think that like Julia Stiles character as well, just like she doesn't say very much. In fact, I was just reading that after Jason Bourne leaves her in the cafeteria, she doesn't say another line in the movie, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting to me. I like couldn't believe that because they just have a great presence, which is interesting that like, and, and again, a lot of this is because I literally just finished watching born legacy, like two minutes before he started recording. So that's kind of like influencing my thoughts, but it's impressive to see how like a Jason Bourne movie is a lot more than just Jason Bourne. Like it's these other things that really add to the impact and power of the film, not just to have like a character that's interesting, but to have a performance, like you said, uh, that just works that just like makes the character into something that's engaging and interesting. And like this whole espionage stuff and like the 
bureaucracy of the whole thing. Like we saw that fail with Star Wars and and the prequels. You know, as much as I love those and defend them, we saw that fail to some extent. Where here it's just working so well because of the way that it's written. But I also think more. I mean, definitely George Lucas admits it. He's not a fantastic writer. <laughs> but the the way that it's written, this really works. Like the lines, both the way that they just they work. Even when it's like heavy exposition, I can't say it any other way. It just works. And I, I think that's partially writing, but also just the performances. We we gave Matt Damon tons of credit for the other two, and he gets all the credit again. But so, same with that other cast members. They just like really give a performance that's just, it just delivers. The things that are unsaid too, I think, <clears throat> are highly effective. So there's the the scene where um, Bourne and, and Nikki you know, first meet in that apartment, um, you know, and he, he recognizes her and she of course recognizes him and we're led to believe there's some kind of history there, but it's not spelled out Mm -hmm. exactly what it is. It's left for the viewer to kind of figure out on your own. And, you know, you're at first, your immediate thought is, was there some kind of romantic history between the two of them, either in, you know, interest from one party or the other that wasn't, responded like you know there wasn't reciprocated like was was there that or was there an actual relationship there um that he's completely forgotten about and now she has to deal with the fact that she knows he's been you know living romantically with this other person and you know like just all of these things run through your head and it's very Mm -hmm. interesting and the movie doesn't spell it out fast forward to we get another scene of jason Bourne cutting hair and dying hair you know with a woman that he's on the run with but it feels different like it's not it's just it's clinical it's not um it's not intimate the way it is when he when he's Mm -hmm. doing it with maria the first film um it's very very different so it's it just leads the mind to wonder what exactly it was that she meant when they talked about their complicated history i i would i'm dying to know more but i'm glad the movie didn't just hit me right in the face with it 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 works the restraint is what works so well to me. And when that scene came and she was dyeing her hair, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, not like annoyed, but like, wow. Just the way that they restrain themselves to use that again in such a different way. Mm-hmm. I just love, like, even in the editing, I think about that you may, had me think of in that room when when her they meet and she's talking to uh, Noah Vos and, and she has to, like, call in or ID in or whatever it is. And she yeah. has, like, her word for if she's in stress and in distress another one if she's okay and just like Which, the way they edit it she fails oh, though she still fails though even though she gives them the word that would like <laughs> yeah yeah but um they just like the way that the editing leads you to think that something else might happen and like and like just like the slowness of that character having a, like a shell peeled back so to speak it's not just like immediate like oh she's on her side like you're not really sure how far she is or isn't on his side. It's just, it's just a good performance. Yeah. And I think again, this, the thing that this movie does so well, and it really does this whole trilogy just does everything. So well, like Rob, you said it like this really should be part one and two. Like if this came out during the time of like, when they were doing like the hunger games and twilight, like this would have been part one and two, like they, like they would have said like, the born supremacy or the born ultimatum part one and two, like they would have like, I just watching these movies. Now I can't imagine not wanting to just want to watch all three 
back to back to back because there's such a cohesive story that you can't help but want to go to the next one. Like I just I just found myself like wow, if I if I watch these movies again, I would literally have to be like, well, I guess I'm not doing anything today because I want to watch all three of them at a time, like consecutively. Um, and that is with the characters that stay again, because ev- nothing feels like it goes backwards. Everything goes forward the way that Jason remembers things, the way that different people in the organization, you know, even Pamela Landy, I'm going to bring this up now where she is like absolutely against them going after Nikki. Like all of that feels natural from somebody who was going after born to actually using like her character, using logic where a lot of them are like, look, we don't care. It's Jason Bourne. And they, they almost use the, the, the Bruce Wayne mentality in Batman V Superman. If there's a 1% chance that Jason could come after us, we have to take him out. Like, we can't leave it up to chance, but she's like, this guy has left us alone and doesn't do anything until we come after him. Like maybe we should trust him and just leave him alone. Like maybe we should get rid of this, but she feels natural. Like she doesn't feel like they just make her character be that way because they want somebody else on Bourne's side. Like her character progression feels very real. And, th- and that's one of the things that, again, I just praise this movie for in this trilogy for is the character progression. Everything's earned and it's not there yes. for the convenience of what the script needs to happen next. You know, mm-hmm. Landy's character, I think is a great example of it. It does feel natural that she really is like, no, Nikki is one of us. Like you can't just put a hit on her. Like this is, this is insane. Yep. And the rest of them are just crapping themselves so fast because they don't want to get implicated when something goes public that they don't even care. The collateral damage means nothing to them, but Landy, who's actually a good person and, and doesn't want to see, you know, colleagues murdered (laughs) that don't, that are not, um, turncoats. It, It works. It makes sense. It's natural. Um, there's no part of that that feels like just a script convenience. Yeah, it it, nothing, nothing feels convenient. Everything feels earned. Like you said, there's nothing that feels like even born going from a to B in place to place. None of it feels convenient to the plot. Everything feels like he's actually moving along this path to get where he's going. Um, And even the it's back towards, you know, kind of back from where we're talking now. But that scene in the train station where he's leading that journalist through the crowd and trying to keep him safe. Again, I just I love how smart like Bourne is portrayed. And again, it doesn't feel convenient like it you see him watching and calculating and all of these things. And even that scene, just the simple act of him telling him, wait for this guy to pass you tie your shoe, like all of those things, like even a scene as as easy as him, like basically playing Frogger with a human's life. It's just like, I'm so like, I'm so captivated by that scene. Like I was just like, I mean, I know what's going to happen, but I'm like, okay, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then when he's like, 
oh my god i'm going he's like no don't move and he's like no i got he's he's got a gun he's going for it and it's like you stupid idiot listen to jason yeah i that was the scene that i remembered the most like i mentioned at the beginning i, I remember this movie that entire scene in the train station is the one i remember the most and it is just so intense and captivating to watch in so many ways and it, and it the thing that i i love about it the most now is that none of it feels like this is a character who can just go into a room or go into a scenario or go into a scene and just absolutely control everything and have the world revolve around him so to speak a lot of times we get our our primary character where the world and the story that's being told revolves around them where mm -hmm. jason feels like he is in it like he he's just moving along like a person in traffic in a train station like that you know to use the scenario that he's in it, it feels like that that he's having to react and calculate and engage and and hesitate and like that scene when he beats up all the goons and then he looks in the security t uh camera and like realizes like well now i've got to adjust now this just reached another level. Like it, it I don't know. It, 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 the way that it does that feels like he really is fighting because there's other times when it's like, oh yeah, the character's on on camera footage now, and it's and it just feels like feels really cheap. Where mm -hmm. this feels like a real consequence and like a real loss, and and seeing him adjust is is it's intense. It's captivating. One to watch. thing that I do want to maybe it's something I missed. Maybe maybe I'm looking into it too much, but. <clears throat> It does feel like kind of a bad idea to, in a high profile way, assassinate a journalist who's working on a whistleblower story that is going to put a lot of people in a bad way. He'd already been publishing some stuff and they assassinate him again in the most public way they possibly could, where it's clearly an assassination. This feels like not how they would have gone about that. This feels like, I don't know, um, that's that's one of the, the minor complaints I have about the story of this is they do all of these other things so smart, right? You know, they're Treadstone, they're, they're Blackbriar, they're the CIA, you know, they're, they're assassins for hire and uh, not for hire necessarily, but, you know, they're assassins for the greater good and they're quiet and they get their jobs done and everything looks like an accident or it looks like, you know, whatever it is. And yet that wouldn't raise any eyebrows when... Uh, a prominent journalist working on a major story gets assassinated that publicly. Um, that did seem a bit weird to me, unless I'm missing something. The thing that I love about it, if I just want to jump in because I feel kind of passionate about this. I, to me, it's always been seeing their mistake because of their fear of Jason Bourne. That's why I've always liked it is because you see this, this fear that they have that the beast has awoken jason Bourne is back which he's not you know like like but he is and, and just like the entire mess around that and like this uh, like I, I think matt you said this with noah vosen's character like you see the armor come off and i feel like this was like the moment where like i don't know like if, you, if, if someone understands this you're playing video games with like your younger sibling your younger brother and you're just like whooping them and then mm -hmm. suddenly they get like some damage in and then you like you're kind of up against the wall and you're like, oh, crap, like they can actually do some damage to me. And so you kind of just like react really viscerally and you like overcompensate in your reaction because you were more exposed than you thought. That's a, the beginning of this film in, in, in that moment has always felt like their mistake in reaction to Jason Bourne. 
Yeah, because I don't know if that works for you. Well, it does because see what I would do when my younger brother would start to get close. I would just unplug his controller (laughs) because see, back in my day, right? And I'm going to sound like an old person at this point. Back in my day, controllers weren't wireless. Yeah, they they yeah. they un they unplug this guy's life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but <laughs> no, like I I kind of thought of that the same way that they they were going to kill this journalist, but I feel like they still were going to be able to hide, like kind of cover it. Once they see that Jason's there and they know that he's helping him, they just kind of go into a mode where they're like, "Well, we just have to get this guy out of the way, and we'll figure out a way to cover it." after like the main priority right now is to get him out of the way because with J like if we have the shot we have to take it because if jason gets him out of here we're probably screwed we can go back and and cover up later but if we don't get him now it's it's done that's that's how i interpreted it um but i'm i'm certainly not going to sit here and say there's no rhyme or reason to your thought well, I mean, there's the whole debate raging across the internet right now if Jeffrey Epstein killed himself or not, I guess. So I suppose it works. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm not saying he did. I'm not that's saying he true. didn't. I'm just saying there's people who are asking the question. Um, you could probably use that same logic here, I suppose. Yeah. Um, now, with uh, it's kind of funny because I feel like we've talked about so much of this movie and almost so little. And again, I I think part of the reason why that feels that way is because there's, again, there's not these huge action set pieces there. There's a lot of, of dialogue that propels these movies, um, which is all very good. And, you know, we get to the scene Harrison, where I had mentioned this in the last review, where I had totally forgot that the born supremacy ends with a scene from the born ultimatum. And it, it takes a little bit to get there. Um, but we get to the point where born actually calls Pamela Landy. And again, it's just, it's, you know, nobody shouts, nobody screams, nothing like that, but just their conversation. And again, I just love the fact when he's talking to her in the end of that conversation where he's like, you should get some rest, Pam, you look tired. And you just, you literally see everybody's face just like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> like, wait a minute. He's lo- like, even Noah Vos, he's like, he's looking right at her. And then it's just, you know, sheer everybody to the wind fan out, go get him. You see, like, you know, again, the one thing that I will say, though, um, that I it's just hysterical. You want to be inconspicuous. Yeah, nothing says nothing's going on here, like 10 black SUVs in a single frickin file line traveling, (laughs) (laughs) traveling together. Um, But just the again, the sheer panic when it's like he's here and just how casually Jason is about that. It's just like. God damn, you're so cool. Yeah, I love it. I mean, like, just the way he says it, especially because there's something about that music that ends a Jason Bourne movie, like that, or whatever, I'm not going to try and copy it. That was a pathetic It's called Extreme Ways. But, like, yes, thank you. 
which is awesome. I love that it's consistent yes. in each one. But but anyway, like ha- having that mentally in my head from the end of the Born Supremacy, and then seeing the scene in Born Ultimatum, like that music starts playing in my head and it just elevates it and it's kind of epic, just because it just feels like the ultimate dunk move of Jason Bourne to be like, yeah, yeah I'm right literally here. nobody in the CIA on. ever decides to like close their blinds or have like privacy screens up because he, there's that other scene where he's looking right at, uh, I think it's, I think it's Noah, you know, getting into his safe and he's like, Oh, well that's where the safe is. That's, that's where the files are. Cause nobody in the Bourne universe like closes their blinds ever. Everybody just leaves it open for him to see. It's true. We got to get born one liner somehow. <laughs> I, I also do feel like that might I feel like that also might be a and again, maybe I'm just maybe I'm giving the movie too much credit in this this vein, but I feel like that's almost the arrogance that they have that there's no way Jason like even though he's done it before, there's no way that Jason would be that close or like they almost they feel untouchable until they realize they're not so there's almost like an arrogance to them that yeah we can do whatever the hell we want um but again maybe i'm just giving it way too much credit oh, no, you definitely see that but... throughout this this whole series you know the cia characters all believe that because of the cia and they're acting in the best interests of the american people that they have a blank check to act however they choose behave however they choose assassinate whoever they choose and at the end of the day, it all gets hidden in a congressional hearing in some way or another. And the people who truly know what's going on are either dead or deny their knowledge of it. Well, and I also think that it's like a good um, like representation of the era that Jason Bourne is in, which I think makes these movies really fun. That like They're kind of on the cusp of surveillance becoming a real thing. And so there, we, we don't quite have, we as a people don't quite have the, the, I don't know, like protective nature that we do over it in, with surveillance. And, and I like those two things combined just add to like the mood, I would say, or the vibe of the movie in a fantastic way. Yeah, I mean, this is 2007 when this comes out. That's years before Edward Snowden. You know, that's years before anything like that. You know, people were kind of talking about privacy and internet uh, surveillance and things like that. But this was long before anybody was worried that if they said something in the same room as their phone, next thing you know, Facebook's going to give you an ad for that thing. You know, long before that. Yep. Yeah, which is an everyday occurrence. <laughs> um, but, you know, the the one thing, too, during that phone call that we were talking about that led into all of this is when Landy you know, tells him, Hey, your real name was David Webb. You were born here, everything like that. And it was, you know, when I first saw the movie, it felt like, and Rob, I don't know how this felt for you. Cause this is your first time seeing the movie. I was like, okay, like that's actually like really sweet of her. Like, I thought it was like, okay, that will be like a nice, maybe like closure moment for born to know his real name. But then all of a sudden you get the, the realization that like, okay, well, wait a minute. That's not what's going on here. And they're like, wait a minute, this is actually where he was born. Like, and they're like, all right, everybody stop what you're doing. Like find out what this means. And then when they find out that she's actually given him the location 
um, of Blackbriar, like Blackbriar, and it's just a complete panic. Again, it's just like, I remember first seeing this and I was like, oh man, like, here we go. Like, we're, all right, we're kicking into the final gear here. And like, man, we're actually like, like, we're going to see what's going on. Like, I don't know why, but I just, I really like love that part. The realization that she's given them, she's given them up. So I'm not going to try to pretend like I figured it out and knew all along. Like, no, I just, I was with you, Matt. I, I thought the same thing. Like, oh, she's just kind of giving him, she's doing him a courtesy. Like, listen, the CIA mm-hmm. screwed up your life. Um, here's real information about yourself. Like, that's how I took it initially. And then all of a sudden, when you get that slow realization, no, that was like a coded message. I was like, God damn. I love this character. She is such a badass. Like she's awesome. Like mm-hmm. I love so much about this character and I love the way the actress portrays her. Um, everything about that character is just fantastic. I love when she's on screen. I do too. I, I, I really, really like her. I do. We just kind of want on the topic though. I want to get your, the two of your sense. Cause I'm still kind of back mm-hmm. and forth on it just with like the general ending and, when Bourne goes and talks to whatever that guy's name is that looks like everybody else, Dr. Hirsch, <laughs> you know, like even in the Bourne legacy, they just get like, like similar actors. And it's like, come on, do all the CIA people look the same? Uh, anyway, S- stock character. Number one. <laughs> yeah. Do you vaguely, yeah. Dr. You vaguely Hirsch look like Dick Cheney. All right. You're in the Bourne movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean they all do a fantastic job, and they all have like a unique presence. But man, do they look similar? Um, I, I'm just curious what you guys think about that in general. Like, I'm still kind of flip flopping about what I feel about it. Like, it's kind of cool that he just like kind of just like goes without a plan. That he's like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing anymore. Like, I helped Pamela Landy with Blackbriar. Now I'm just gonna go confront this guy about who I was and what happened. Like, it's Uh-oh. it's kind of weird. Guys. It, like highly emotional for Bourne, oh, no. if that makes sense. And it, and especially cause that's the end of the movie. I just don't really know what I think about it. So I'll, I'll just jump in really quick. Um, I actually really, really enjoy it. Um, because it felt natural. Like I really kind of took it as like, okay, Bourne has given documents to Landy he's going to help her expose, um, you know, Blackbriar, Blackbriar, Treadstone, you know, everything. I, I almost feel like what else does this guy have? He doesn't have friends. I don't think he'd probably like, you know, he, he had the girl in the first one. He lost her, but like, I don't know. Is Jason Bourne slash David Webb really going to go make friends? Like, <laughs> I, I just felt like it was like, <laughs> you know, like I, I felt like it was very like he was okay with the fact that he was just going like, this is what he wanted. He wanted to find out who he was, how he got here to this point in this program. And if his end was met here, he was okay with it. Cause I don't think he knew what else he would like what else he would really do. Like what's after they're exposed, what's next for him? Um, again, that's how I, that's how I take this ending. Um, and there's a couple more things that I'll, I'll get into, but Rob, I'll let you give your thoughts on, on some of that. You know, the, 
the walk through the hospital to me has a very video game final boss feel to it. It really does. Like every all the side quests are accomplished. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to go face the big bad guy. We're going to have a cinematic and then we're going to do the battle. You almost half expect there to be a, a side character coming up to him and saying, hey, by the way, before you go into this room, make sure that anything you wanted to do, you get done. That Because once you go in, there's no return. Like you fully expect that <laughs> from, from like every open world video game of the last 10 years. Yeah, you you have that prompt that says like you cannot go back once you proceed. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's it really has that feel to it. It's very video game-esque in that in that last kind of bit. Like it doesn't feel there's something about it that just feels a little off character to me, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but something just something felt a little bit off, but um you know, hey, I, to your point, like, why not? What's he going to do? Start volunteering at the SPCA? Like what, like, what's he going to do? You know, he's, he's going to take up knitting. Like, no, he's, this is kind of the end of the journey. Um, and he just kind of spills everything out and like, well, here it is. Like, you know, how did that guy think he was going to get out of it? Like, it just felt weird that that guy, after everybody else was losing their mind, but it's it's almost like Paul Revere, Born is coming, Born is coming, you know, like Born is coming, Born is coming. And like everybody's running around, their hair's on fire, you know, like it's just and all that. And he's just like, all right, whatever, Born's coming. All right, I'm just going to sit here. And he, he almost like lights up a cigar practically and just kicks his feet up on the desk while he's waiting. Well, he also doesn't seem to be like, the best in health human. Yeah. So he was like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make <laughs> it anyway. So, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not going to outrun the guy. So I guess I might as well just stay here. <laughs> I might as well just stay here. I guess I'll face the music. I'll then. take my chances. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, before we even get to that, you know, that, that part, um, and, and this is just a small little thing. It, Again, he has a conversation with with Noah Vosa where he's like, I was wondering when I was going to get this call and why don't you stop in? He's like, oh, yeah, where are you in my office? I very much doubt that. Well, why? Because we'd be having this conversation face to face. Like, it's just another kick ass moment where it's like he's so calm, cool and collected. Born is. um, And just like the balls to be like, yeah, I'm just I'm just going to (laughs) infiltrate this. I, you're all looking this for building. me, and I'm in your building. Like, literally the least yeah. safe yeah. place on planet Earth for me to be. I'm just chilling. I yeah, just walked I, right in. Yeah, what do they always say? The best place to hide is, like, right out in public. And he's like, you realize I'm here, right? Like, this this should be easy for you guys. Like, you suck. He practically takes a <laughs> yeah. selfie of himself in front of the, uh, the same right. Hey. <laughs> he, he does. Um... But uh, Harrison, anything that you want to like come back with um, based on like Rob and my thoughts on the, you know, the question that you posed. No, it, it works for me. I think you guys kind of convinced me. I originally wrote my notes that the ending kind of like ruined the film for me, not ruined. That's an extreme, but lowered the in, entire okay. reception of the film. Cause it just kind of like led up to like a dud, but like, where do you go with this character? Like, how else do you end the movie? You know what I mean? Like, like we, we've prayed this is the storytelling and how Jason Bourne isn't this. It's 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 not a like Jason Bourne centric world. He's in it. He's existing in it with everybody else, and this is what's left for the character. And from that standpoint, it actually like really really works for me. Um, 
in a way that I didn't think you guys were going to be able to convince me of. So I, I actually, uh, I do think the one it. part of that of that scene, though, that we get and we haven't had a chance to touch on it yet. And to me, it's one of the biggest shocks of this whole trilogy is, you know, the, it flashes back to Bourne kind of like joining the program. And and it mm-hmm. seems like you're you're led to believe he's accepting a mission because he's asking questions about who it is. What did he do? And he's not given a- answers. You know, he's basically just being given a loyalty test and then he's handed the gun and the dude is just in the corner. And he pulls the trigger immediately. Yep. That to me was, was like, whoa, like I, I, I literally sat yeah. up at, whoa, I was, it, it was a shock. Like I was not ready for that to happen that way. Um, you know, so that to me, I, I thought was, was, I don't want to say really cool. Cause that's going to sound kind of, kind of sociopathic a little <laughs> bit, but it was a well, it fit the movie really yeah, well. It was a well, yeah, it was a well-made piece of the film. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the way to put it. Even even the fact, too, like because it goes back and it shows how, you know, especially the I can't remember the guy's name, but the one of the directors in the second movie who ends up killing the one agent when he shows him like, hey, somebody like Bourne would know that you don't need this explosive. And then and then he just kills him. You know, it showed when they're sitting there and he's like, so who's the target? They're like, do you give yourself to this program? Like, you know. Again, it just fit with me of, you know, these guys that are at this level are the ends. And we've talked about this in other movies. The ends always justifies the means. Like, we don't have the luxury of thinking of whether or not this is right or if there's a different way because this keeps, you know, this keeps us us safe, so to speak, as a nation, whatever the case may be. And I, I really did just like how, again, it was very simple in the concept of, do you accept accept this program or not? Like, yeah. I, it doesn't matter who he is. What matters is he has to be eliminated. That's the focus. Uh, all of those other things are trivial in the grand scheme of he needs to be eliminated. Yeah. Uh, that is a fantastic way to put it, Matt. I did have, if it's okay for me to switch gears, another question about the ending that I, I just want to get you guys is of that, like, like the literal ending where it reveals that Jason Bourne didn't die, like he's in yeah. the water and then he comes back to life and swims away. Like I'm really don't, I'm leaning more towards negative about this. That like, uh, in a fantastic, actually, it's in a book or in an interview, I can't remember. But Christopher Nolan talks about like the excitement of when you make a movie of teasing that there's more for these characters. It, Batman Begins is a fantastic example of this. The Joker card, when he made that, there was no intention to make a sequel. There was no intention to build off the universe. It was just, as he said it, it's fun for the audience to walk out of the theater imagining that these characters we know of exist further in the universe in their mind. Mm-hmm. And that's the entire point, and like, which I think is awesome. And th- and Batman Begins does that really well. So so using that idea, like, that's what's exciting about being like, yeah, Jason Bourne is alive, and this just didn't do that for me. And maybe it's because like, I like the existence of this character in the future isn't just in my head anymore. Like it it is on it's in in the screen, you know, in this in the Jason Bourne sequel, and it's just from what I can remember, not great. And so it's like almost like I'd rather have him die <laughs> than go through Jason Bourne. I, I don't know. Like it's 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 weird where like that excitement that like I was hoping, you know, as the end ending's going before it reveals it like, oh, is he gonna be alive? Like I felt myself getting excited for the reveal that he was alive. And then when it was revealed, 
I just fell flat. Like I wasn't excited at all. Rob, do you want to, do you want to go first? Um, I had those same thoughts. <laughs> so that's, what's funny is like, Oh, okay. You're asking okay. the question that I don't have an answer to. Cause I have the same question. I, I really think if they were, if they knew from the outset that it was just going to be a trilogy, if they just would have let the body float at the end, that would have been a very gutsy way to end this thing. And that would have been so I sweet. Kind of, I kind of think it would have been a little bit better of a film to have ended it right there. Um, or to just not have him kind of swim away. Now it, it does fit the character. Yes, of course he's Jason Bourne. He gets out of everything. He figures a way out of everything. Of course he'll survive that. He survived everything else has been thrown at him to this point. But you know, like we've been saying, there's what's, what is there for him to do next? Like we're not, we're not really given anything that we think there is still for him to do. So it, it would have been fine for him just to be like, you know, he's, he's done there. Before you respond, Matt, what I would have liked is if it would have done something where it still had like the news broadcast that uh, Julia Stiles character was watching, but instead of cutting back to Jason floating in the water and then swimming away, just have the newscaster say like, no body has been found or yeah. something and go back to him floating in the water and then play the music and don't have a move. Like just play the music and go to credits, like end with just the statement a body has not been found and let me do with it what I will. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that would have changed. Anyway, Matt, I, maybe you can fix it for me. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there, there's two different thoughts for me on this. The first thought is there's a little bit about the ending that I don't like because when I think about it in terms just off the top of my head and not having rewatched Jason Bourne yet, Wondering what this character, when the movie ended, like, oh, he's still out there. I wonder what's happening. Maybe he finally has found, you know, maybe it takes him a while, but he's just doing something. He's out there. Um, That was intriguing to me because I could just have my, okay, maybe he finally found peace and happiness. Um, And then from what I remember, the first, like watching Jason Bourne the last time I watched it, it's like, I don't care what happened in his life because Jason Bourne almost feels like a goddamn reboot of the third movie. Like Jason Bourne feels like the Bourne ultimatum again. Like they even repeat some, like they even repeat some of the same things from what I remember. Like some of the same lines are used. Some of the same shots are used exactly. And so you almost, you made me not care that he survived because what you did in that movie to me is not interesting because it doesn't feel like a continuation of the story. It feels like you just made the third movie again. Now, I don't know if my thoughts will change when I rewatch it because I haven't yet, but that's one aspect of it for me. The other aspect of the ending is I think it would have impacted more if the two assassins, and I think his name, was it Paz? That's one of them. Is how you yeah, say it? Paz and Tesh. The, or Tesh, I'm sorry. The, the, the one, one at the that, end? The one that he's on the roof with. Uh, Dash. No, not Dash. It is pause. I think the ending could have been more impactful had Noah Vosa never came into the scene. Because I think it's actually very powerful that him and this other guy who's been trained for this program get to have a conversation. And I don't, Harrison, I don't think you've ever played it. And Rob, I don't know. But 
Rob, do you ever play the like the Prince of Persia games where Prince of Persia, the two warriors, or uh, Prince of Persia, Warrior Within, and then the third game where the third ending of the game is a loop back to the first one where he repeats the line from the opening of the first game? No, I skipped that whole series. I okay. actually remember that. I remember sitting with my brother and like both of us just lost it. Like, I just still don't know what I think about that. You're like bringing up like this weird part of my soul <laughs> that like I'm feeling this towards. So to me, I loved that ending, like it tying back to the original game and the words that he uses. Look what they take. Like, do you even know why you're supposed to kill me? I feel like that could have been way more impactful to just have these two people that really don't know, you know, he's Jason Bourne's got a little bit more knowledge now, but how is my life this like, where, how did I get from a to B here at the end? I think that could have been way more impactful. Had he just lowered his gun and let him walk away. The broadcast, the, the broadcast, the movie ends with everything being exposed. And Jason's just gone. I, I think the fact that Noah got involved and they show that he got shot, I do think it takes away from the fact that he had this moment and this full circle conversation at the end. I still think it works. Um, if I'm just looking at it as on, on its own and not incorporating Jason Bourne. Uh, but I do feel like the ending, reg- even with Jason Bourne, I think the ending could have worked a little bit better not having Noah Vosa involved in that. I agree, actually. I mean, I don't remember too much about the story of Jason Bourne. I just remember that I didn't like the movie. So I'm just kind of like taking that bitterness and applying it here <laughs> kind of unfairly. Um, but I agree with you. I, I couldn't put a, a my finger to it. And I think that that's really it, that that could have been an amazing scene to just have pause just let Jason go. Just let him jump off the roof. Like he just kind of like says something to him and then walks away and jumps off. Like just leave it at that. That that could have been so much better than Noah Vosen showing up and just like shooting him, which is, which like, why, why even shoot him? You know, like he's going to live. What's the point of, you know, with not, not from Noah Vosen's perspective, but from just like a a writing perspective, why even have Noah Vosen show up and shoot him? If you, Jason Bourne's going to live. Like, what What does Noah Vosen being there do for the story? You mm-hmm. know, it's interesting. It occurs to me in this in this third film, like, every time Bourne starts to get a little bit close, they have, like, one of those little, like, plastic button covers they flip up, and then there's the blinking red button underneath it. They push it, and they send, a, you know, this operative after him. You know, okay, we've got this asset. He's only two hours away. He can be there, you know. And they send all these guys after him. And uh, every single one of these guys, like I, I actually kind of feel bad for for them as people because they're just CIA operatives. Like in their mind, they're being told this person is a threat to the safety and security of the American people. I got to go take them out. And they don't realize they're going up against Jason Bourne. Like those guys, like they're kind of they're, they're presented throughout this series almost as like these like T 1000s that just are like moving forward mm-hmm. straight ahead at all times and can't be stopped until they are stopped by our hero. But they're actually like, they, they think they're Patriots, you know, it kind of sucks to be these right. guys really. Yeah, yeah no, th- this is my good. chance. This is my chance to like wear my passion for the CIA. And I've been killed by Jason Bourne. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, so 
Harrison, I'll let you go first because you know we're we're at the end of the movie. We've discussed it. Is there anything that you feel we didn't touch on that you had down in your notes um, th- that you wanted to bring up? Yes, two things. One, this movie won three Oscars, in case you didn't know that. I, I just love that it did. It won for Best Achievement in Film Editing, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing, and Sound Editing, which I think it totally deserved. The sound editing and sound mixing for this is fantastic. And I actually really like the editing, um, especially comparing it to, to Born Legacy, which I watched. And then to prepare for this, I just quickly watched some scenes from the Born Ultimatum. And uh, like... It's definitely way more shaky cam. It's definitely within the the I don't know m- mode of the Born trilogy, if you will. Like they definitely just take those characteristics of shaky cam and quick cuts, but they use it in a way that I just love and like really works. And I think they leave behind the messiness of the Born supremacy and just use it exceptionally well. And I just want to give credit to the entire second unit team that's in charge of the action, the motorcycle chase mm-hmm. that they do. And um, that and then is like a foot race on top of roofs is so well done. I love everything about it. And that shot with the cameraman in the air falling behind Jason while he jumps through the window is just like one of the coolest shots in action cinema ever that I like I knew it was coming and I kept waiting for it and I couldn't remember exactly where it was. So every time Jason jumped off a of railing, I was like, is this it? Oh no, it's not. is this it? No, it's not. Oh, there it is. And I watched it and then I was like, okay, I got to rewind. And I watched it like four more times. Like I just, I love, I, although it's not as heavy carrying in this movie as it is in the others, the action in this is just exceptionally well done. So there's Rob, I, I got the same question for yeah, you. So I, I actually dislike certain aspects of the cinematography and editing in this. And I, and I kind of want to talk about two scenes specifically that really stood out. There's, there's a scene where um, Nikki and Jason are in a diner and the, the camera like zooms in and out and is bouncing in, in kind of a weird way. Um, and it's actually like really distracting to me when I, I feel like it should just sit still. Like it's, it's constantly like zooming in and out the way you would in a scene that's supposed to like, it would feel more at home when they're in, you know, when you've got all the CIA teams in with all the phones and the banks of phones and computers and, and monitors and the big screen and stuff like that, that sort of style feels at home there. Not when the two of them are in a diner trying to figure out their next move. It just, it was really distracting. Um, and the fight with Tesh, the way it's edited and shot, I, I actually hate. There's like half second shots okay. and really frenetic movement. To me, it just sucks to me. Like, I really wanted to like that scene more, but it was just like, I wanted it to focus a little bit more on the action. Like, let let the action take place. Give us some of that brutal, short, small movement, you know, like Wing Chun kind of Krav Maga style fighting that we've seen throughout. But it, it every time a hit landed, the camera was cutting. It was moving. It was showing the next thing. And I actually really hate it. I wanted to like that scene a lot more. Um, but I do, I do agree that so many other action moments in this are so good. And it, what it reminds me of, and again, it feels weird to be giving this movie credit for things that other movies just spectacularly screw up so often, but Holy cow, what a difference in car scenes and action scenes in general, when you're not mm-hmm. over relying on cartoons and green screens to do it. And you're actually doing these effects practically. God, there's just so it feels so much more real 
as soon as you put a cartoon in there, I are, I, I recognize it immediately and I shut down and I go, nope, not real. It lowers the tension for me. It lowers the realism for me. Agreed. And it lowers yep. my, my, my belief that the characters I'm watching are in danger when I know that it's fake. When I think that's a real object, yeah. I think those characters are in danger so much more. I, I I agree with you there. I I while I don't necessarily agree with the fight with uh whatever that guy's name is that I can't remember Dash. I I can understand where you're coming from. I think that there's like a particular flavor to this, if you will. But now I I gotta correct his statement because we're doing the Transformers. So uh, there's uh so this one the Oscar for sound editing and sound mixing. I think it deserves sound mixing, but sound editing should have gone to Transformers. I was looking at the other mm-hmm. uh. Uh, what's the word? Nominees. Like, uh, nominees. Nominees. Thank you. Uh, yeah, but it. it I, I agree with you that the fight scene with Born on the motorcycle is just so fun to watch, especially because it's just so real. And I also love that when things start to get really heavy, Born does the exact same thing I do when I'm playing GTA. It's like, well, there's a bunch of cop cars here. I'll just get in one and go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rob, there was actually. Um, there was one review that actually called out the the shaky cam in in that cafe scene um and you probably couldn't say this now but they specifically in the review said why when two people are chatting does the camera have to be afflicted with parkinson's you probably can't you you you, pro- you probably can't use that that review now um but that was actually something that one of the reviews like specifically called out um when i was like just looking at things for this movie um was that particular scene and then harrison um you brought up like at winning oscars but i always find this things fascinating rob harrison you guys know i i like box office numbers and things like that but this movie was actually number one in highest grossing for august um for seven years until guardians of the galaxy came out no way Nothing, nothing in August that got released made more than the Born Ultimatum, uh, which debuted at. And this part I did actually have written down um, sixty nine million dollars in its opening weekend. Wow. But yeah, That's seven like, years, seven years. This was on top. Dang. Which I, I, uh, I actually found like fascinating. Yeah. Good for Jason Bourne. Good right. Bourne um, I will say. Go I, ahead. I would. Before I forget, I just have to comment on what Rob said about that diner scene. I feel like, which I hate, like, there's a few things that I will use that word for in movies. I hate this in new movies. The CGI punch zoom. I feel like like studios, when they're like, we want to make our VFX look better, we want to add to the intensity, they just pull from the Bourne Ultimatum. They're like, how can we make this more intense? Punch zoom on everything. And I I hate it. I just hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I was going to bring that up. And so I'm glad you reminded me about it because I, I would I would wake up in the middle yeah. of the night if I didn't say well, it. It's, I it's hate so it. distracting. Like we shouldn't we it, it reminds you you're watching a movie and you should be invested in the conversation. And you're reminded that you're watching a movie because you're seeing what a camera is doing. And it's not highlighting yeah. anything. It's. Yeah. It's distracting. Yeah. Um, w- one last thing I want to bring up before we we give our review of this um, because I think it's, it shouldn't be understated is the phrase I'm going to use. 
you know, this, so this movie, the third movie received a better score than the first one, than the second one, the born supremacy received a better score than the born identity. And then the born ultimatum received a better score than the born supremacy. It also made more movie as each movie came, each movie made more money than the predecessor. And for people that follow this kind of stuff, it's actually a feat that it did that because think about trilogies and the third one or even the second one sometime making more money and being better than the first one. It didn't happen with Mission Impossible before that turned into like a juggernaut with actually getting better with age, which is rare. The third movie made less than the second one. It wasn't as well scored. You think about Harrison, I don't know if you watch these, but you think about the Scream series when that was a trilogy. The second, like the third one did not make as much money. It was not scored as well. You can look at other trilogies, even as much money as Star Wars has made. These movies, the second movie, Empire Strikes Back, which is sometimes widely considered the best movie in Star Wars, did not make as much money as A New Hope. And then Return... And Go then ahead, Return sir. of the Return of the Jedi did not make as much money either. As much money as The Force Awakens made, The Last Jedi <clears throat> did not make. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Did, did did not make as much money as The Force Awakens. And then we got movie. The Rise of Skywalker. Regardless, regardless, <laughs> what is that? Who's who's talking? <laughs> um, it's the devil you know, shoulder, right? Exactly. As, as much as I like the rise of Skywalker. Cause for whatever reason, I just have a, a weird like fog tint over my glasses for it. This doesn't happen where trilogies are actually the third movie is legitimately better or box office shows. People wanted to still see these series. And for somebody like me, I think that's actually very interesting. I mean, I don't know. And it's so Harrison, about, I know I you about the box office, but too. man, the only other movie I the only other series I can think of where the third movie might be the best of the series, Indiana Jones. Like that's, that's the only thing I can think of right off the top of my head where most people prefer the third film to any of the others. Even think I, about the Batman trilogy with Harrison. You did a great review on all those. The dark Knight rises is not considered. No, like, so, but go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I want to challenge someone out there because I would like, I am having so much self-control right now to not do this and I don't have time for it. So I really going to have to control myself. <laughs> someone please find and then email Matt and me and Rob. Uh, what, <laughs> didn't mean to seclude you there. Uh, uh, what find another trilogy anywhere where each film made more money and has a higher rating, like critically financially and critically was more successful i don't think there's another trilogy out there obviously there's some that made more money obviously there's some that got better critically like one example that comes to mind that that i still need to edit and upload is the how to train your dragon trilogy like maybe that one maybe but even still i'm not sure like i i'm like scrapping my mind to think of trilogies where you really have a run for all three to go better financially and critically i don't know if there's one out there yeah. And, and think about some of the things that we, you know, that we just named. And again, before it became a second trilogy, look at Jurassic Park, look at Jurassic World, like, and, and those are a little bit of, 
you know, because of box office inflation and people just spending money, um, they don't, that doesn't necessarily, it, it doesn't happen. Even some of these big name things, this is a very, and, and again, if somebody is like, you're totally wrong, like you're listening to this and you're like, you're totally wrong. Here's example A, B, and C. Please send that to the show. Please send that to me um, because I, I would love to know which one actually does it. Okay, I just found one. I couldn't control myself. I, I got to check critically. But so far, financially, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, each one made more money. Let's uh, see. Okay. You know what? what? I I would say that each – I don't know. Would I say that each movie is better than the last one? I'm, I'm definitely not – I'm not inclu- don't I, I definitely not saying the Hobbit. Uh, see, okay, so we like, got. Uh, I still like the Two Towers the best out of that trilogy, and I think most people do. Okay, so the we got the Fellowship of the Ring that has an eight point eight and a ninety on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, let's see, sorry, I'm like trying to Google as fast as I can. Um, that has an. 8.8 and a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Critically a little bit better. Yeah, splitting hairs though. And really. uh Yeah, what's the last one? Return of the King, I can remember. Yeah, it's definitely not a movie like the Jaws series. It's not like Jaws 3D is is everybody's favorite of, of that series. Right. Okay. Technically, technically, on a technicality, Jason Bourne still has it over the Lord of the Rings. Each one made more money than the first. But according to Rotten Tomatoes, the first one is a 91, the second one's a 95, and the third one is a 93. So, Jason Bourne. (laughs) Maybe I'm misremembering this, but I feel like there was kind of some shenanigans with the Lord of the Rings because by the time the third one came out and they realized that they hadn't given the Lord of the Rings any Oscars or like any real nominations, they were kind of like, here, here's, have this instead. Like, I was, am I right about that? Am I remembering that correctly? I kind of feel like you're right. I think so. So I and and I kind of almost I, don't even. I do think there was something like that. And I almost don't even really think about the Lord of the Rings as three separate movies because they shot the, like just because in my head they shot them all at the same time, and just kind of like edit. Yeah, and they released one year after another. Yeah. So like they had they had it over Jason Bourne from the get go because they were one after another. Everyone knew it was a trilogy, but yet e- even still, technically Jason Bourne won. So someone yeah. find one because. You can't go to the Lord of the Rings. That's actually like so cool. Like I, I don't know why, but I like feel really proud of the Bourne trilogy for some reason. Like <laughs> I had no part in the making of it, but I feel proud. We all we all work so hard on this. <laughs> all right, so we'll get into our, our our popcorn time review, and I'm gonna recap here that when we did the Bourne Identity. All three of us gave it four buckets. Uh, we then moved on to the Born Supremacy, which I was actually, I will say, I was surprised. Uh, Harrison and I once again gave the Born Supremacy four buckets. And Rob, you gave it a five on the popcorn time scale, yeah. which I was I was actually really surprised. Yeah. Um, not that I don't think it deserves it, but I was surprised that you gave it. <laughs> The, 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 f- the five um, and not because I like as as you were reviewing it and talking about it, I was like, oh, this sounds like a 
like this sounds like a four from Rob. Like this sounds like a four. Um, so with that being said, I'm actually going to let you go first and let us know your score for the born ultimate. Yeah, so I don't need something to be perfect to give something a five. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't need it to be flawless. I just need to thoroughly enjoy my time with it. I need it to to give me something different. I need it to give me something good. You know, a four, I think I said this about the first one. The first movie is kind of the definition of what a four looks like. So to me, the second movie is better than the first. The third movie is better than the first and and really does feel like a very natural continuation. It's almost like they just kept filming. Uh, when they were done, it it really does feel that way. So is it a perfect movie? No, I'm not going to call it a perfect movie, but I will give it five buckets because I, I enjoyed it. And um, I would watch this movie again and have a great time with it and, and probably feel like I would even enjoy it more on subsequent rewatches because I'll kind of have, you know, a better feeling of what's going to happen so I can enjoy the moments that lead up to it even more. Uh, Rob, I will I will say just very quickly your sentence hurt my heart because I, I was I was I was told this weekend at the bar that I am the definition of what a four looks like. So you you, <laughs> you, you struck a nerve, but on a scale of one to four, right? That's what they meant, right? Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So uh, Harrison, I'm going to let you close this out. So I will go next, and it, this is a five for me. Um, there's no doubt about it. I when I first sat there and thought about this movie, it was a five for me. It definitely did not change a- at all. This is to me, this is just such a good movie. I'm captured every time I watch this, which again, Rob Harrison, think about how we've talked about these movies, not just the born, but all these movies that we've talked about and talked about. Well, maybe I can skip it. I'll fast forward a couple scenes here. You know, I I had to cut 10 minutes so I could get through it. I, I don't want to skip any time with this movie. I want to sit down and watch this movie. And if I watch it again, I'm not doing stuff around the house. Like if I'm sitting down, I am sitting down to watch this movie in its entirety. Um, So to me, it's a five. So that leaves me, right? That leaves you. Oh, okay. Uh, I got to say, just just for myself, to, to make sure that I sleep tonight, I, uh, th- I'm i going to take my rating for the Born Supremacy. Still at four buckets, but the fourth bucket is a small instead of a large, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> and, and the Born Ultimatum, I'm just going to give it a five. On the popcorn scale, it's a five. For some reason, if I like think about it in stars, my brain like has a panic attack. But for buckets of popcorn, this is a five. Like it, it's just it's everything that I wanted out of a Jason Bourne movie, and and delivers on all the things I like. It's my it has been my favorite. It still is my favorite. And uh, the little complaints that I had about it, while like the ending, there's parts of it that could work better. You guys kind of changed my mind on the biggest part of the ending, so it, it gets itself that fifth bucket of popcorn there. So five buckets. Um, yeah, but, but the born supremacy, I'm mainly saying this in anticipation of recording the born legacy is four buckets of popcorn, but the fourth one is, is, uh, it's a small, (laughs) I, I think that is very, very fair. So that will conclude 
this uh, this episode with the Bourne Ultimatum. Uh, and by the time you're listening to this one, we'll have the Bourne Legacy right behind it, um, which I am very excited to actually talk about because it is definitely one that I was interested if my opinion would... I feel like that was the one where my opinion would change the most, um, having seen it before. So... Uh, before we sign off for this episode, though, I would love to give Harrison uh, a chance. If you haven't listened to anything from The Basement Binge, Harrison, tell them where you can find it and and, and what you do. Yeah, so The Basement Binge, wherever you get podcasts, wherever the audio waves are going into your ears, you can find The Basement Binge. Um I binge movies and watch them. I don't know what else you want me to say. <laughs> uh, Matt and Rob have joined me multiple times as we review them. I mean, I like to pick series and binge them and, and critique them that way, which is a lot of fun. My schedule has been absolutely overwhelming, so my upload schedule has been whack. The um, Transformers series was supposed to be finished in August and How to Train Your Dragon was supposed to be done in August, and it's the middle of September, and I'm not done with Transformers editing it. But Rob, Matt, and I have recorded episodes on transformers the entire series that is being uploaded and then also how to train your dragon that trilogy from earlier this year the animation season that i had so good things coming out of the basement bench after that i have no idea what i'm gonna do i like i can't even get time to edit those podcasts so i don't know what i'm gonna do but i'm gonna keep reviewing movies because it's so much fun and i enjoy it and i just like need that it's enjoyable to talk about movies so if you enjoy talking about movies and matt goes to the movies isn't enough the basement bench wherever you get podcasts well, I have I actually have just finished listening to all of the Transformers episodes that are released so far. Um and I have to say, I don't know if you guys have listened to it, but I really did it, I kind of laughed a lot at our our Age of Extinction <laughs> review. Um I, I I I had a I had a really good time. I actually um on Sunday, uh whatever day that just uh whatever date that actually just was um i ran a 5k and that was what i listened to while i was running um <laughs> so and it, it, i probably lo- i probably looked like an idiot because i was running and laughing and there was thousands of people at this 5k that probably saw me like thinking i'm a psychopath yeah um, i associate running but with I, I had a really good time <laughs> So, but, uh, Harrison, thank you so much for being here. And then Rob, um, you've always done such a really good job with this. So let listeners know again, it's going to be in the show notes, but where do you find Matt goes to the movies? How can you get in contact with us and anything that's coming from, you know, is there anything coming from the extended universe? Yeah. So, uh, got two co-hosts that are constantly hitting me up with, with suggestions and ideas and, uh, hoping to, uh, complete one of those very soon. Uh, so look for that. Um, but in the meantime, like we mentioned earlier, if you can think of a trilogy where the films got progressively better, or even if it's not necessarily box office results, if it's not necessarily critical results, if it's just commonly accepted by fans that the third one is the best of the series, other than the only thing I can think of is Indiana Jones. That's the only other one other than the Bourne series. Uh, please email the show. You can do so at mgttmpodcast at gmail.com. It's just simply the letters of Matt Goes to the Movies, podcast at 
gmail.com. While you're at it on the interwebs, as it were, you can check out the show's Facebook page. And there is a Facebook group. They would love to see some discussion going on top trilogies all time. Uh, what are your favorites? Which ones are the best? Where the second movie maybe is better? Or the third movie is the best? Uh, would love to get some more fan interaction on that. Uh, you can also find the show on TikTok. The show is now officially on Twitter. It's joined the Twitterverse. You can find the show on Instagram. Uh, MySpace, Friendster, and uh, probably a, a BBS somewhere too. To, to Tumblr, <laughs> yeah, probably probably somewhere on an on old bulletin board system that you have to use a 56k modem to still access. Uh, you can find the show anywhere your your favorite social media pages are found. You know, while we're th- talking about old things, I just have to tell you guys this, and because I feel like the listeners will think this is funny. Do either of you remember the old? It was an 2D animated Pixar movie, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. I think it was like straight to VHS. Yes, I do remember that. That was like my childhood. So today I teach a high school class and and every day I take a role, I ask them a question and today was, what's your favorite Pixar movie? And and so I had them all up on the board and no one knew what that movie was. And I was like, so it was weird because like that was my childhood Pixar movie. I watched it so many times I melted the VHS and one of the kids was like, how did you melt it? Like, how does that even happen? Like, he didn't know that that was a thing. And then all of them, like, consistently said that Cars was their favorite Pixar movie, which, like, it's good. But I was like, Cars. And then it dawned on me. And I asked him, I was like, was Cars your childhood movie? They're like, oh, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. that. we were kids when Cars was released. And I was like, what? This is so weird. So if you're one of those individuals listening, I guess enjoy Cars, even though it's still the wrong answer. (laughs) If my students, if my students are listening, <laughs> now you have even more proof. It's the wrong answer. Definitely not cars. Oh, that's too. funny. No, no. See, even the cars trilogy, it is <laughs> not yet yes. better. <laughs> the cars trilogy, Spider-Man trilogy. Ooh. It's listeners find find something. Find find something for us. Maybe you just gave me maybe like I'm thinking Toy Story maybe, but that's the quadrilogy now. And then also maybe um, Ooh, Tom, Toy Holland, Story. Tom Holland Spider Man. I know financially each one made more, but I don't think a lot of people think that Far From Home is. I feel like there's a lot of varying opinions on how good some of those movies are. I know Rob and I certainly had way different opinions. Yeah. Um, with like homecoming when we were doing reviews and even compared to yours, Harrison, I think we were, uh, I I think, you know, again, the three of us don't represent everything, but I even think we were, I I think we represented a good consensus of there being a very big gap of what people actually think about those movies. And to be honest, I don't, I don't know. I think some, I think MCU trilogies are almost exempt from the conversation altogether because there's so many other films that happen in between that build it. So it's not like a true trilogy that builds one on the other, because like even something like Thor, you know, Thor one was, was good. Thor two, we really don't speak of, but you kind of need Avengers in there (laughs) to make that make sense. Yeah. Thor three is bizarre and four was so disappointing. I, I think I actually hate that movie. I, I'm pretty sure I do. Um, yeah. Super yeah. disappointing. So it's it's not even but, like that counts because there's so much else that happens in between. Because when you think about just how crazy of an event something like No Way Home is, that's a, you that's not a true trilogy. You know, that's that's just three movies out of a series of a cinematic universe. 
that happen to have the same yeah. character Wait. as their lead protagonist. Well, I checked anyway, and Spider-Man Far From Home was critically lower than Spider-Man Homecoming. So, already took even if it counted, which I agree with you, Rob, it doesn't. But I'm going to stop talking because we like. I feel like Rob's like trying to get us to stop talking. <laughs> so we can go <laughs> to the next episode. <laughs> All right. Well, that will do it for the Born Ultimatum. Again, listeners, thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you very soon at Matt Goes to the Movies.